0: بسم الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد صلاة توجن بها من جميع الآفات بها جميع بها من جميع وترفعنا بها عندك على الدرجات بها من جميع في عليك يا رسول الله So as you all uh, probably know we're starting a new topic tonight This new topic is children around the Prophet Uh it recently came to my attention that it was made into a book It's actually, initially, a series of lectures by Dr. Hisham al-Awadi. So basically everything that I'm using, I've stolen from him and stolen from his book. And then some comments, of course, I'll make along the way. You can probably find his audio lectures online. I don't know if they're legitimately uploaded or not, but you could probably find them. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning that Dr. Hisham hafidhullah I've never met him, I don't personally know him, but uh, I think it's fair to say that one of his lecture series did kind of like change my life in many ways, that was, he he had a series on the four imams, Um, I heard it when I was in college, so I think it was when I was in college, before we went to Egypt, and like, it really, you know, he spends like a couple seri- couple lectures on on each of the imams. Talks about their life, their background, their students, their role in society, their role in knowledge of course, but all of these things really kind of like I guess opened my eyes to who these people I shouldn't say who they were, but like it gave me some sort of understanding of who they were, right? And Blew my mind Like you know It's just amazing Like when you hear these stories Of Imam Malik Of Abu Hanifa It's just really amazing SubhanAllah And so You know May Allah reward him May Allah bless him You can also find that online Uh, This was back in an era When you didn't have So many choices Who you listen to You know So I can imagine People now Might listen to it And they're kind of like Well he's got this Like British Arab accent I'm not really into that And I'll go listen To someone else This was the era of like, if you want to listen to someone, you got to find the stuff. Like someone's got to like hook you up with the CD or like copy a tape for you. And there's not a whole lot of stuff out there. You know, like, it's not like you there was no YouTube. So there wasn't like you go to YouTube and you search for imams and you find all kinds of random people speaking about the four imams It didn't exist. So like there was one series on the four imams, right? There was one series on the mothers of the believers that Imam Suhaib Web had done back then. That was really phenomenal can probably still find it. It was a great series. But it was, subhanAllah, like a, a nice time in a sense. Like I remember I was a new Muslim. And I had like two or three lectures. Like that's all I had. I had, there was a lecture on amusing ourselves to death by some like youth worker in Canada. I got somehow. And then there was like a lecture Imam Suhaib had given on like zina or something. <laughs> and, then, and then there was another one he had given. I had like four or five. And that was my rotation. But like you really knew that stuff afterwards, right? Like it really affected you. It wasn't this information overload. So, you know, all of it is taken from his stuff. It's none of this is independently researched. It takes a long time to do research like that. So may Allah reward him. He made it easy for us. All right. Children around the Prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wa First chapter is called Muhammad and the Children. Muhammad and the Children. One thing that we'll see here and one thing that I want us to reflect about when it comes to understanding the life of the Prophet them, is that the Prophet them was a man of the people. And in some ways, that was actually probably easier back then than it is now. Okay, so most of us, especially in Southern California, we live in these suburbs that are intentionally separated from everywhere else. And in order to go somewhere, we leave from our house, we get into our bubble machine, the moving bubble machine, and we close all the windows and we move in our moving bubble machine to our location. And then we get out and we, it's like a bigger bubble that we move into. And then we interact with whoever's there and then we leave. And so like, it's actually more difficult to be a person of the people than it used to be, right? Like, or it might be in other places. Like maybe if you live in New York or somewhere, you live in a downtown place You live in Cairo for sure It's a lot easier You just walk out of your building And you go And like everyone's everywhere You can talk to people You can engage with people You can see rich people You can see poor people You can see everything in between you can, It's different, right? In our context is a little bit more difficult But what I'm trying to emphasize Is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Lived with his people He lived with his people uh, Sometimes in like Our religious spaces We have A lot of Kind of like weird posturing weird uh, positioning you know like this person's like such and such and like all this like it just gets a little bit overboard sometimes and uh, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too um, but you don't see that actually with the seerah like you see it's really remarkable because you see people who literally like in authentic narrations, if the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wasallam was making wudu they would rush to get the water that falls from his wudu And they would keep it And like use it and stuff Like They would do that And at the same time They would sit together And have a conversation And be totally normal And when there's an issue They would say it to him And they would talk to him about it So somehow they managed to do Somehow they managed to have Utmost respect for the Prophet Sallallahu And at the same time They were normal and functional human beings isn't like a, I think sometimes we have a problem with this We're either like too overboard in uh, like how comfortable we are with people, <laughs> you know, just say anything and do anything and like whatever. And then the other side of it is just this overboard weirdo thing that's a problem. But what we see from the Prophet Sallallahu is that he lived with his people. He he lived with his people, he lived in the masjid, he went to the masjid, he went to the marketplace. You know, not every all the companions were great people, but not all of the companions were the close companions, but the Prophet is still dealing with them, still interacting with them, you know. A Bedouin's gonna come from outside of the city and grab him by his cloak and like pull it up to his neck and it's gonna it's gonna be real life. That's my point, right? It's gonna be real life. So the Prophet, when we look at like what is the defining issue of how we understand the relationship of the Prophet with children, is the idea of rahmah. So the Prophet وسلم, never physically disciplined a child. We don't have any narration, uh, let alone uh, like did such a thing to a woman. But he never did it to a child ﷺ. Uh, the narrations are very specific that he never raised his hand against anyone except in jihad. Like if he's on the battlefield, he's on the battlefield sallam. If he's not on the battlefield, his home is not a battlefield. His, his home is a home, right? And his interactions with children are interactions with children. Um, we even have narrations, like I was, one of them that's mentioned here is a narration that the Prophet Wasallam was one time holding like a baby, a woman's child, which also was very normal, right? Uh, you know, one of the things about close communities and about extended families and big families and stuff is that people know how to deal with children. My policy, because I, did, I didn't grow up in that, my policy was always, I'm not dealing, with, like I'm going to earn my stripes on my own children. So people will be like, you know, this is a baby, like play with the baby and stuff. I'm like, I don't play with babies. I've never touched a baby before. I'm not experimenting on your child. Alhamdulillah, I've had children now. Like I know how to, a little bit like how to deal with the child. But, you know, you know those things in, in extended families and stuff. I mean, even uh, we always say when we would travel anywhere in the Middle East, it's always funny, right? Like, you know when you're going to the Middle East now because people don't mind your child being on the flight. <laughs> like when it's domestic, everyone's looking at you like, you brought a child on this flight. You know, how dare you bring a child on this flight? It's probably going to cry at some point. And I'm like, you know, like, weirdo people, you know. And then as soon as you get on the leg that's going somewhere else, it's like, your child can walk up and down the aisle, they can go, like, people see you tired, they're like, Madish, they just give your baby over, like, you handle the baby like a close everything is like you know of course there's limits on these things there's boundaries we should be safe so on and so forth believe me i, I believe very firmly in that but i'm saying that there's also some level of interaction that's normal right um and so the prophet sallallahu is holding his baby <coughs> and the baby pees on him like for lack of a better way of saying it the baby urinates on the prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And it wasn't like he freaked out, oh my God, the child is pe- you know, you, whatever word you should use that's appropriate. The child is going to the restroom <laughs> and, you know, he just slashed some water, cleaned his clothes and went on with life. It wasn't like he's freaking out about it, right? There's a very normal kind of interaction that's going on here. Uh, Enes, radiallahu an, and radiallahu anhu, and remember when we were studying the Shama'il? We said like, look at how many narrations in the and because they're the detailed descriptions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Look how many are coming from his wives or his household or people like Ennis who was like, Ennis was a servant in the household of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. His mother just like put him in the house of the Prophet. She's like, you take care of him. Let, him. let him serve you, do whatever. He stayed with the Prophet from the age of 10 to 20. He was just with him all the time. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ennis says, as I was playing with my friends, the Prophet said, I them passed by us and greeted us. Passed by us and greeted us. It's very simple, right? But is it really like that? And again, when everything is compartmentalized, it makes it difficult. I remember when I was at ICOI, people would always come to me and they're like, thank you so much for what you're doing with your children, with our children and stuff. And I used to tell them like, you know, if we're going to be honest, I'm not really doing anything with your children. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't run youth group. I don't teach youth group. I don't give any lectures. Obeda might remember. Like, I wasn't actually doing anything. I would just be there on Friday night and make fun of kids. Like, that, w- that was basically the extent of what I did with children. Like, I'm here, I'll make fun of you, joke with you a little bit, and mess around. Some of the college students might teach, like, some of the youth group and stuff. And that's, that was the extent of the youth work, quote unquote. But my opinion from then up to today is that is the best youth work. Like, the, the teacher's around, the religious person is around, or whatever. They say salam. they ask them how they're doing, they maybe share like a little reflection here and there, and they just live with them in a very normal way. Not this like, we're going to sit in the classroom, you're 10 years old, we're going to sit in the classroom, you have to listen to me lecture for the next two hours, and then I'm going to give you a test about it, and if you don't pass the test, then you're out, and all this. That's not how it was. Like, children are children. The Prophet them. Ennis remembers what? He says, I was with some of my friends, the Prophet wa sallam, walked by, he said, Salam alaikum we said wa alaikum salam and he kept walking, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But they see him, they interact with him, they, this is how education actually happens. Right? Material is one thing, but education is something else. So the Prophet sallam, is doing this. One other narration says I was this person says I was a boy of five. I don't know about this narration, but he says I was a boy of five and the Prophet sallam, would take water and kinda like throw it in our face. He'd like play with us, He'd throw some water at us, you know we play around like that. And that's what they remember for him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Dr. Hisham says, How Happy childhood memories are never forgotten. He knew that children love surprises and presents, including sweets and clothing. And when the Prophet, Sallallahu was given the first fruit of the season, after praying to Allah, he would give it to the youngest child there. You remember that one from the shama'il That he said that the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when the harvest would come in Medina, the first harvest of the season would come, they bring the harvest to the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He would take it and he would say, "Allahumma ba'dik lina, fi marina wa rizqina." He would pray for the, for the, for the agriculture of Medina. He would pray for the people of Medina, and then he would take and he would take the dates or whatever it is, and he would call the youngest person who's there, and he would give them the date, and they'd eat it. That was how how he did it, Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is a kind of education, right? Because what is if we were really to like boil boil everything down? He said this, he did that, he did all of these things the Prophet did. What is the Prophet really teaching people? Obviously, he's teaching people that Allah exists, but he's teaching people how do you live your life knowing that Allah exists and engaging with the people around you. How do you do that in a, in a good way? That's really what the Sunnah boils down to, right? Like, how do I live with Allah? How do I live with the people? How do I, do, how do I have a good life? How do I give people their rights? How do I forgive people? How do I purify myself and do better for myself? And so on and so on. It's what he's teaching, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? So it's not like you have to come over here and memorize this text and stuff. It's like he gives them the date. He calls this person. He makes du'a for this person. He puts his hand on the head of this person, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whatever else it might be. So what's kind of really beautiful about, especially when we see how he dealt with children, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is very natural. It's very natural, very organic, very like you know, the way you would want things to be. The other thing, and I'm going to say this, is that I always have to go out on a limb and say something controversial, but it's really easy to fake the funk when you're not around the people. Okay, so like, you know, we have... It's almost like a careful what you wish for type thing but it's really easy to pretend you're something you're not when you're not dealing with people all the time. You know, and people aren't seeing you in different places, in different ways. Like, I used to complain that when I was in Irvine that... I used to complain, but at the same time, I was happy about it. That I couldn't go to the grocery store until it was 10 o'clock at night. So Irvine's like a small place, you know? There's so many Muslims. Literally, like, if I went to the grocery store, I'd be giving fit questions and, like, this is what <laughs> going on with my child Like one time I went to the grocery store, I got stopped three times in the course of one trip. Like I was walking down the aisle and I looked down, I was walking across the aisle and I looked and someone saw me. And then on the (laughs) next aisle they came, you know? like, like, Shay, can we ask you this question? Like, and at some level it was kind of like, okay, I'll have to go shopping at 10 o'clock at night. Or like sometimes I'd be walking in the neighborhood and like literally someone would drive up and like pull over. (laughs) Like, it's Irvine so you feel comfortable <laughs> but <laughs> otherwise you feel like it's kind of shady right like you're walking down the street someone just pulls up I'm like checking the stickers on the back of their car like what, what what kind of stickers do they have just a Muslim person like you know can I ask you something is this and that at some level that's that's like at some level you're like you don't always want to deal with that but at some level it's like that's good And like that's the way it should be like we all live together and you have questions and this and that and, like we respect each other's privacy and like don't like Knock on my door and stuff If you figure out where I live And everything But At some level that's good right Like we want to we, we need that with each other And so you see that With the way that the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam There's a beautiful story Where the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa them. He, he, he role modeled And he taught again In a very natural way So one time he was with uh, There was a woman And uh, there was a child, and the mother she called the, she called the child and uh, she said like, basically come and sit with us and i 'll give you something she didn't specify what it was but you know like parents do with children right like come here and I 'll give you this, or, like I 'll get you something, just come over here and sit with us. you know this is a bribing thing we do with our children and then uh, the prophet I them asked her. He said, what were you going to give the child? And she said, some dates. And he told her, if you don't give him something, that would count against you as a lie. It's very interesting, right? Like it's a very simple story, but it's a very interesting story. Like you said that you were going to give the child something if he came over and sat down. So what is it that you were going to give him? Because if you weren't actually going to fulfill that, that would be a lie. So figure out some other way to say it right? It's a very simple thing. People look at it and be like, oh, you know, but it's apparent you can do this and so on and so forth. What is the Prophet teaching the people? Teaching the people, you have to be honest. You have to tell the truth. If you say you're going to give someone something, you have to give them something. You have to follow through on it. And your child should know from you that you're telling them the truth. Because if you do that to them a couple times, like over, come over sit here, and then you don't give them anything, they're not going to trust you. And if the relationship becomes like, I don't know when my mom or dad is telling the truth and when they're not telling the truth, when they're just saying something, they're not saying something. This becomes a problem, right? Because all these relationships are built on trust. So the Prophet ﷺ really is teaching in like a very beautiful way. That narration always struck me. It's like, you know, don't lie to children. And I've heard Khala say this sometimes, like very strongly. Allah preserve her. You know, like, don't lie to children. Figure out some way to say it. If you don't want to, if, you know, if you need to like, you know, do some sort of like duck and move. If you need to duck and move. But don't lie to them. And to be honest with children. Same thing applies like aunts, uncles, everything else. You know, whatever whatever it is, be honest with them. Then he goes into this section about, What does the Prophet Wasallam look like to a child? It's a really interesting question, right? Sometimes it's good to do this kind of stuff. Like, I was in the... Uh, this is silly, but... I was in the room the other day, in our room, and, like, the bed is there, you know? I have no idea why I did it, but I was standing on the... I was, got up on the bed, I was standing on the bed. And I started looking around the room, right? <laughs> and I was like, wow, the room looks so different. Like, stand on the bed, the room looks so different, right? Stand on the chair, like st- go somewhere where you're used to being and stand on something. Or like sit all the way down. Lay down. Look at the room from below. Looks very different, right? So he he says, like, what do we what does it look like to the children when they look at the Prophet? think about we have these descriptions of the Prophet. What does it look like if you think about how it would look like from the from the angle of a child, right? Uh, and how old is he, sallallahu send at different ages, different so we know the Prophet is how old when the revelation begins? Forty. How long were they in Mecca? Thirteen years. So after they leave to when they go to Medina, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is fifty-three, right? And they stay in Medina for roughly ten years, then the Prophet dies at the age of like 62, 63 years old. It's, not long it's very important to consider this. Right? So you read all the stories of how he was with children. How he interacted with children. Most of them, many of them, are happening in Medina. So you imagine that this is a man in his fifties, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's in his fifties. He's interacting in this way, playing in this way, so on and so forth. So it has a big. That has its own impact, right? Uh, children. There's actually he mentions there's a research that showed, the, babies preferred handsome faces over not-handsome faces. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a f- it's a funny thing to think about, but like, there's some truth to it, right? There's a reason why the Prophets were always the most beautiful of people. Like, yeah, Prophet Yusuf was the most beautiful of the Prophet wasalam, was even more beautiful than Sayyidina Yusuf wasalam, but like, all of them were good-looking, in a sense. You know, corruption and facade and all that stuff aside, they were handsome and good-looking people. So when the Prophet Wasallam is being looked at by a child, they like to look at him. They asked him in one narration. Someone asked him, Is the face of the Prophet Wasallam, was it like a sword or was it like the moon?" It's a very interesting question, right? Was it like the sword? Was it like a sword or was it like the moon? And they said that the Prophet Wasallam's face was like the moon. There's like a softness in 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 a. In a I want to say attractiveness But not in the sense of like There's a pull to that, right? There's a pull to the moon So the Prophet them is being he, They see something on his face And again, these kind of things are They're important Like we don't want to overdo it You don't want to assume too much But there are things that you see on people's faces Um
1: The Arabs they
0: had this was a science to them. They could look at someone's face and know things about them. Like this person they've done this, they've done that, they had this experience it's just by looking at their face. It was it was a knowledge that they had. Uh, they say about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi a rabbi who was who later became a Muslim, Abdullah ibn Salam, when they were in when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi came to Medina, he said the following When the Messenger of Allah sallallahu arrived to Medina, the people came out to meet him. He says, So I went among the people to get a look at him. When I gazed upon his face, I knew that this was not the face of a liar. Very interesting statement, right? He says, I I looked at his face, and I knew that this is not the face of a liar. Right? Sometimes you look at someone and you're like, it's a little bit of roughness here. For whatever reason, you don't judge them necessarily. Like you can observe something without judging right so maybe they've been through a lot of things whatever but there's some roughness there there's some harshness there like there's some sometimes you look at a face you see it in children a lot actually because children haven't really learned to control their faces the way adults have right so sometimes you look at them and you're like he's up to something like this is this what he's up to something he's doing something you know like can you tell them like what you do and they're like oh I didn't do anything like you did something I can see it in your face you did something and then, you know, you see it, subhanAllah. So he says, I looked at the face of the Prophet them, and I said to myself, this is, the, this is not the face of a liar. Like if he's saying that this is what he is, there's some truth to that. And later on he became a Muslim. He says, then I believed in him. But he knew this is not the face of someone who lies. So imagine how like a child would look at it. The Prophet sallallahu I wa sent them was also known to have like very beautiful eyes, very striking eyes. That he smiled a lot, Sallallahu alayhi Wasallam. Of course, this has a big impact, especially on children too. And he's always smiling at them, always happy with them. Um, now may Allah forgive us. Different people have different... Some people smile very easily. Some people have to force themselves. He, he was known, sallallahu alayhi wa to have like... Uh, he always had a miswak. He was always keeping... His oral hygiene was good, right? So he would take care of his oral hygiene... <clears throat> take care of himself Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He spoke clearly Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Yes I don't do like half of these things He spoke very clearly He spoke very slowly children You know Even when you think about children too Like you don't talk to them The same way you talk to adults Right like, You might speak a little bit differently Say things a little bit differently uh, But the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa Was known for these characteristics Um I'm going to read this paragraph Even when he was around 60 years old uh, The Prophet Sallallahu had very few gray hairs Why is it relevant? He said, he said because to the children around him He wasn't perceived as an aging grandfather But rather as an approachable adult I'm not so sure about this point It's his reflection I'm not sure I really agree on it But I want to get to the other point Besides being a Prophet, the Prophet was also like a father figure to the people. It was this latter aspect which endeared them to him. Presumably, introducing Muhammad as the Prophet would have gone over the heads of younger children, but the perception of him as a father figure could reach across all age groups. And this I think is really interesting. Right. So it's not that like... Like, I'll give you a personal example. Alhamdulillah, you know, may Allah preserve our relationship? We have a good relationship with Shireen and Ustaz Fuad. Like a family relationship. Children know each other, stuff like that. My children don't refer to Ustad Fuad as Ustaz Fuad. Right? They don't refer to him as Sheikh Fuad. You know, we don't go to their house and... I tried to get them to kiss people's hands, but they won't do it. I tried. Started with their mom. I'm trying to tell them like you should kiss your mom's hand when she wakes up in the morning. You go to her, take her hand, kiss her hand. They don't listen to me. But you know, trying to do it with my with my parents. My parents are like, they're not accustomed to that in the first place. Like what's going on? There? But you know, like they go, we go visit them. They know him as Fouad, right? It's Uncle Fuad. It's so Uncle Fuad and like you know, hang out and whatever. and can we go to Uncle Fuad, Auntie Shireen's house, type thing. Like, it's not a, it's a Sheikh Fuad, he's mutakannam, and kanam, you know, like he's specialist in theology, th- philosophy, like you have to deal with them in a certain way and stuff. The, inshallah, they'll get older and they'll understand that. But right now they understand that this is just like someone who our parents get along with and we get along with and treats us nice and like, we go to their house and we might play some soccer Like shoot around basketball And like little nerf hoop or whatever it is Like normal things, right? So the Prophet sallallahu Would deal with people in this way They understood him in that way The kids understood them in that way they're not going to them and be like uh, Sit down Like it's not The nature of the relationship The Prophet sallallahu has with them Not necessarily saying that's good or bad I'm just saying that when you look at the life of the Prophet them. it's almost universally the case. He's not like preaching to people, he's not yelling at people, he's not... It's very love-based. It's very relational. Like, you know, this is us, we're getting along, we're hanging out. You know, come here, let me have some dates, have some food, so on and so forth. So it gives, it opens up the door for them to fall in love with him. They fall in love with the Prophet them before they hear anything from him. This is extremely, extremely important. Uh, Sayyidina Anas, anh, who we said, you know, he lived a very long life. They say he lived to be 103 years old. And he lived with the Prophet for 10 years, right? So he's from the age 10 to 20, the Prophet وسلم, dies. Can you imagine? Like you're with the Prophet وسلم, in his home from 10 to 20. The Prophet وسلم, dies, and you live to 103. Like, I can't, like, how do you, that's a lot of heartbreak. Like, how do you, every day you're living without the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? So 80 years, no Prophet Sallallahu in them. After all that time with him, Sallallahu Alaihi it Wasallam, it's so hard. You know what he said? He said, after the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam died, not a single day passed without me seeing him in my dreams and crying every time I remembered his face. This <laughs> is like, amazing. Every night I saw him. Every time I go to sleep, I see him. wa I would think of his face. I start crying. Subhanahu wa taala. Eighty years, right? Like eighty years is going on. It's a, it's a lot. wa So one of the things that we can do when we think about this, and we're thinking about this question of how do children look at him and so on and so forth, is to remind ourselves that we can always read. The core sources that we have From multiple angles Like okay we've read the seerah before But did you read the seerah assuming you're a child Did you read the, intera- the stories of the companions Assuming you were a companion Or assuming you were this Or assuming you were that Try to read it from a different angle You read it from a different angle You see something different From his personality Sallallahu alayhi wa The behavior of the Prophet Sallallahu Showed a deep mercy and concern for the children he said very clearly, مَنْ لَمْ يَرْحَمْ صَغِيرَنَا كَبِيرَنَا لِعَالِمِنَا حَقًا The one who does not show mercy to the young and show reverence to the elderly and know the right of the scholar amongst us, then they're not from us, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is the way of the Prophet, It's to be merciful to children, to be kind to them, so on and so forth Is it hard sometimes? hard sometimes, but sometimes we're jerks too. We shouldn't be jerks. It's not the sunnah to be a jerk. The Prophet them. we know if he heard a child crying while he's leading salat, he would shorten salah, like make it quicker. Obviously it's still four rakah or three rakah whatever, but he would make the salat quicker. You know what the Prophet Wasallam said about salat? قرة عيني في الصلاة، قرة عيني في Said the sweetness of my eye was made to be in salah, in the in the prayer. Right? He used to tell Sayyidina Bilal رضي الله When he tells him to make the iqamah, he would tell him يا He's like give us raha with it Bilal، give us calm، give us comfort، give us ease، give us a break. Like he's telling him to make the call to prayer. Like make the call to prayer, it makes us comfortable, it makes us happy. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What would he do if the, if the child starts crying? he make the salat faster. Why? It's not about him. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know, sometimes people lead salat. In the Hanafi school, I don't know about the other madhabs. In the Hanafi school it says very specifically, if you're the imam, you do not exceed five tasbihat. In the in the ruku and sujood. Subhanu Rabbil Azim, 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 Rabbil This is the longest you should be in ruku'ah for the iman. In sujood, Subhan Rabbil Aala, Subhan Rabbil Aala. Some people will say, well I want the salat to be longer, I love it, I enjoy it. You have your sunnah, pray your sunnah, do whatever you want. But the jama'ah has to be done in a particular way so that it doesn't become difficult for the people. Most of the things about like how we do things as a group is so it doesn't become difficult for the people. So they enjoy it, they love it, it's not hard for them. If you want to make things hard, make it hard on yourself. That's what you're supposed to do, all right? This is the thing people don't understand. They think like the religious person is the one who's hard on everybody. No, the religious person is the one who's hard on themselves, And they're easy on everyone else. Everyone else, they're easy, easy, like you can't imagine how easy they are. Yeah, that's okay, that's fine, that's good, it's no problem, don't worry, it's not a big deal. The, the salih, the, the wali, like the righteous person, they make molehills out of mountains, not mountains out of molehills. You know, like the American expression, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Molehill is like a little hill. Don't make a mountain out of it. It's not that big of a deal. Don't make it a big deal. And then they, they take a mountain, they make the mountain go easy. They're like, subhanAllah, I didn't know it would be that easy. It's amazing. So this is also the Prophet would do that. <coughs> Sayyidina Anas again, he says, I've never seen anyone more merciful to children than Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wa He's the most merciful to children, sallallahu alaihi wa Allah forgive us. Allah forgive us. It's not a matter of just reading it, right? It's hard. I have to do it. What are some of the ages? We already mentioned Anas is 10 to 20. Hassan ibn Ali, the grandson of the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wa and his brother Hussein, who's a year younger than him. Hassan was born three years before the migration to Medina. Okay? So that means Hassan is living with the Prophet. He's what? Age 3 to 13. Hassan is 3 to 13. Hussein would be 2 to 12. Anas is 10 to 20. Ibn Abbas anhu is 3 to 13 also. You have like a little group of young, like amazing companions, right? Abdullah ibn Umar was young. Abdullah ibn Abbas was young. Hassan ibn Ali was young. Hussain ibn Ali was young. Umama was young. Uh, All these people, subhanAllah, they're all growing growing up around the Prophet And you know, I think like... I don't want to cause a problem. I have to be careful how I say this. One of the greatest gifts to Orange County is Dr. Muzamma. Fidhu Because Dr. Muzammah sat there and went through everything for the last 40 years, and he's been there. You were born, Dr. Muzamma was there. Your parents were married, Dr. Muzamma was there. You went to elementary school, Dr. Muzammah was there. He's teaching his tafsir every week. 40 years, right? You went to high school, he was there he was and he was always the same gentle kind very nice very simple you know 40 years like you cannot underemphasize the like how important it is to have someone in the community like that when things are switching out all the time because of drama because of this because of that whatever else it might be like when you're an adult it's whatever you're an adult you go to the store you buy what you want you don't find what you want you go to a different store you buy what you want right when you're a child like you need that you know like my and and it's not always that the person is perfect you know inshallah they don't have huge mistakes but it's not always that they're perfect but there's a stability in the religious experience of the person that's important right? like I I, we got married and Shaykh Taha was an Imam in ICSD. Sheikh Taha still lives in the Masjid in ICSD. I was the MSA president in ICSD, 2004. I mean UCSD, 2004. Shaykh Taha was a new Imam in the community. said, Shaykh Taha, we have this thing called Islamic studies, MSA, UCSD. Can you come once a week, teach Islamic studies? I said, San, Alhamdulillah, I'm happy to come. Sheikh Taha, Still teaches Islamic studies at UCSD once a week. 2004 to 2022. That's 18 years of Islamic studies. Sheikh Abdul Jalil was an Imam in ICSD when my wife was in middle school. He's still an Imam in ICSD. Is he perfect? Does he, do I agree with everything he says? It's not the point. I don't have to agree with everything. But there's a stability here that's really, really important. So these children are growing up with the Prophet ﷺ. Day in and day out, they're with the Prophet ﷺ. They see him at Jum'a. They see him at Salah. They see him in the marketplace. They play with his, they play with his nephews and his nieces. They're related. I mean, it's really, really important. And the Prophet's in his fifties, right? Abdullah ibn Umar is the same. The Prophet Sallallahu used to hold his grandsons. Again, we said their ages. He used to hold his grandsons. and He would say, Allahumma Allahu uhibbuhum fa ahibbuhum. Ahibbuhumma fa ahibbuhuma. This is a beautiful dua. He said, oh Allah, I love them, so love them. Imagine you're growing up with the He's not just the Prophet. He's your grandfather. And he's holding you. He's saying, Allah, I love these children. Love them back. You know, it's like a very beautiful thing. He used to get distracted in the khutbah. As you said Sayyidina Hassan, Sayyidina Hussain, they walk, they the words one narration that had a really long tunic To the point that it's like a toddler, right? Tripping on the tunic, walking through the masjid Prophet gets off the minbar in the middle of the khutbah And goes up to him, grabs him, kisses him, hugs him Comes back to the khutbah, comes back to the minbar, says, you know Allah spoke the truth that in your children and in your wives is a fitna <laughs> Like sometimes... <laughs> Some people like Sometimes you make the idea of fitna Like really negative Right It's not even really negative Like if you really love your children They can be a fitna Because like They distract you sometimes It's not because you hate them It's because you love them It's like You look like I just want to sit with them And like play with them And love them and you, see, you see Like Look how beautiful the prophets was the <coughs> So we'll stop here Inshallah for today Takes us to develop, chapter two. Chapter two, he spends on developing emotions. So the first one is just to introduce the topic, and we start to get in like how did the prophets send them talk to them? How do you deal with them? How did their emotions develop around the prophets and the one who sent Um Alhamdulillah. Any questions or comments, observations, reflections? Anyone would like to share? How's the food situation? Is it almost Almost ready? Food situation's ready? Okay. Any questions? Anyone? Observations? Reflections? Stuff you're thinking about? Yeah. Well, I was wondering what did you mean when you said constant and stable in their religious experience? Like, we should need someone that is like that or in gentleman that can make other humans. What I mean is, like, even if you have good imams, if they change every two years, three years, Creates a disruption in the person's religious experience. I'm not putting blame on anyone. I'm not saying, like there's a whole lot of reasons that can happen, right? But a person who's like five years old and they see the imam and they smile at them and they laugh and they joke with them. They ask them questions like we're gonna see what the prophets are saying. Like he knew about the kids' pets and stuff, you know, you know about you know they play sports with them. They play with them at the park. They see them at the picnic. This is the other thing. Like our our understanding of what a religious teacher does. Has become corrupted a little bit because every, we're in a very like business-oriented culture, right? So that people look at it now like, okay, yeah, we'll invite the imam, give them three hundred dollars, give the khutbah. Types so of like, can anyone live off twelve hundred dollars? Is the point for the person to just give you the khutbah, Is the point for the person to be part of your life? When you hire when you hire an imam, you're not hiring them to give a lecture. Now I was I was thinking about like, okay, Sheikh Taha in ICSD right now. Shekhtaha gives khutbahs along with the other imam. And he teaches a single weekly lecture. That's it. Because why? Because the rest of his time is spent in the lives of the people. Meeting people, building relationships, talking to people, so on and so forth. Can you quantify it? Be like, we want you to go to X amount of dinner parties every single week. And it doesn't work that way. So, you know, it's part of what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was. He was... And it takes a lot of time because it's all relational. You know? I always say, like, when I when I came to ICOI, I spent about a year and a half, nobody talked to me. I feel like in Salat, you pray, talk to people, people ask question here, people ask question there, whatever. It took about a year and a half before people really started to care. People really started to, like, come and show up and talk and, like, sit down. and took a lot of lunches, a lot of dinners, a lot of visits, a lot of conversations, a lot of things, right? Before you get to, like, the community doesn't work the way like a, um, a product works, right? It's not a product. Pe- people are not products. So, this is what I mean. So, um, and and you know, like uh, a different issue is that there's different fog kifaya that we have in our community. Uh, Communal obligations. Communal obligation. There's a communal obligation to establish a place of prayer. Absolutely true. You know which communal obligation comes before communal obligation of establishing a place of prayer? It's having someone to teach you your religion. (laughs) The Prophet was in Mecca for a long time before there was a masjid. Someone has to be there to be able to teach you, to be able to spend time with you, so on and so forth, right? So, you know, and it doesn't have to be under the same roof necessarily. Like I think that the way that we've tradition like done things with Islam in America is that we fulfil that always under the same roof. So the masjid has to be the place that hires the imam. And I don't mean the imam like the person who leads Salat, I mean the Imam like the person who leads the community. Right? So the masjid is the only place that hires the person. Why? People say no, we want someone in our community and we don't want them to be subject to the politics of the masjid. We just want them to be in our community. Okay, make it happen, <laughs> you know? Like, there's plenty of resources. Uh, we have a lot of resources, mashallah. So, and don't please understand this is some sort of subliminal messaging, it's not. Uh, alhamdulillah, you know, our life is great, alhamdulillah. Very, very happy, very beautiful people we spend time with. Everything is good, alhamdulillah. But I'm just saying that like, you know, there's different ways to skin a cat, so to speak. <laughs> I don't know, that's a really strange proverb, isn't it? I wonder what the story is behind that one. <laughs> Some of these things, when you learn the story, you're like, wait a second. Like the old man is, what is it? It's raining, it's pouring, the old man is snoring. He bumped his head, he went to bed, he didn't wake up in the morning. <laughs> the old man died. <laughs> Nobody realized the old man died. Like, ring around the rosies, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. We all died. It's the plague, right? It's about the plague. There's the posey. No one thinks about it. I wonder why we're talking about skating cats, but there's got to be some interesting story behind. Anyways, what else? Yes. So you mentioned that the prophet sets out the two million people to have the camel. Hassan lays down and kissed right? What? And you're a father now yourself. So what advice would you give? Like. Within the United States, at least in American life, your kids are in school most of the time, they're with other people, so when they're with you, you just want to, like, overload them with information, right? Because to make up for all the time that they were out, and sometimes, how do you keep it light and not feel like you're nagging them versus, like, but trying to give them a good example, you know? It's, I feel like it's a very delicate sort of balance, because sometimes, like, my, my daughter's a little bit different. She's older, like a nine-year-old son. He's totally interested in this video games. He doesn't want to like really sit and lecture along dreams or what you know, he's like yeah yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know Allah's the greatest, the Prophet's the greatest, <laughs> So how do you how do you do that without like getting mad at them and telling them to be quiet and listen to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that I'm the best person to answer that. <laughs> um I, I don't know what's gonna happen with my children, right? Like I have my I have the way that I deal with them. I don't know that it's going to work, right? So, like, please keep this in mind. Like, anything I tell you, this isn't... I'm in the midst of a living experiment, right? Like, my son is eight years old. Very early, you know? Uh, We haven't really even opened the whole, like, girls thing yet. We're getting in that stage, but, you know, like, not... He's not, but... Getting close. But... I don't know, my default is that I'm very light, I'm very light. Um, I believe really strongly like I need to be what it is that I want my kids to be and that has to like flow from everything that I do and they have to see that and they have to feel that and they have to, you know, experience that. and I feel very strongly that Islam is not a way of life. I know that's the common refrain. I should not only a way of life, but more importantly, a way of being. It's a way of being. And I want them to feel that from me. There are times when I should probably give them instruction. Um, there's probably times when I should you know, remind them of something and so on and so forth. I think that the challenge is, and this is the thing that I don't know the answer to, is that things are not what they used to be. In the sense that, if we lived 60 years ago, yeah, let's go with like 60, 70 years ago, the amount of inputs that my child is getting, other than me, is very much less significant. Um, Even when we grew up, like even when we grew up, you could go to school And still have your own independent family culture, and your child understands this is what I, this is how, this is, you know, these are things that happen at school, but that's school, and we're Muslims, and this is what we do. You could very kind of like clearly make that delineation. But quite frankly, I think that technology has screwed all of that up. So now the dominant input that a person is getting is not just like whatever shows up on the TV screen, they're choosing it. It's whatever they're binge watching and whatever social media they're into and what and they're putting that stuff in their head at a volume that we cannot even begin to compete with. Like no matter how hard I try to put something in their head, like you're talking if I talk to my kid for five hours straight, they're going to go to not now, but they're going to go to their room and listen to something else for six hours. So like who's going to win? that other stuff's going to win. Because it's Nefs too, like the Nefs always wants to win. It's easy to win. If you're speaking to the Nefs, it's easy to win. It's, and what we're trying to tell them is not that. We're trying to tell like trying to call them to their soul and their spirit and the best of who they could be and so on and so forth. That's not easy. So, you know, to me this is, I, I don't know. I, I feel like we really need to limit how much of that other stuff is happening. I just don't know how reasonable it is to even do that. Like how, how it's even possible, right? because drugs are difficult like once you're an addict you're an addict and we're addicted most adults are addicted too so this issue i i really don't know i try to think sometimes like what is something how can i maybe like all of these things call towards people's desires right by the way if you want to get up and eat get up and eat food is ready get up and eat like it, it's to, don't wait get up and be like it, don't be weirdos get up you want to eat get up get a plate of food feed yourself some food get your kids some food you know and be like that smells good check it out it's all it's all good all right but one of the things I'm thinking about is like how can I figure out something that my child might be interested in that is not does the opposite so like for example They're not going to probably be interested in memorizing the Qur'an. But memorizing the Qur'an does the opposite. There's no shortcuts. You can't just get whatever you want. You're going to have to do it day in and day out. If you miss a couple days, you're going to forget. Like, it's going to teach you what life is really like. Most kids probably don't want to sit around and memorize the Qur'an. But maybe there's something else they can do that would be similar in its lessons. Like, for example, if you train in a martial art. And forgive me for saying... No, I'm not going to say that. Mm, train in one that's practical. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just say that. So which one are you saying is not practical? Yeah, I, I'll just say, like, train in jiu-jitsu or boxing or muay thai and everything else, like, I don't know. <laughs> I would say keep it to those three. If you want to learn something else after that, go ahead and learn something else after that. But, like, if you train in jiu-jitsu, for example, you know that if you go every single day... Or every twice a week, or whatever, you will feel a progress that you make over time, and you are never. It's very unlikely you're going to be a black belt in under six to ten years. There's most likely ten, unless you're like a prodigy who's going every single day. You can do it in like six years or something, but most people are not going to do it in under ten years. There's no shortcuts. If you cannot be a black belt, if you're not uh, over, like, you have to be. You can't go past a blue belt until you're over 16 anyways so like you can't even become a black belt until you're like 20 by any standard you know so which is great i hate this whole thing of like children who are black belts like i'm a black belt i'm like you're a black belt you're 10 you're not a black belt bro like i'm sorry uh anyways like what does your black belt mean it means nothing so anyways uh the point is if you do that you realize like okay there's a progress that i make over time it takes time you see the consequences of not doing what you're supposed to do like very you feel it right you're tapping you're passing out you're getting hurt whatever else it might be um there's things like that I think that like they're a good opposite training to technology and everything else you know but how do we find something that our kids might be interested in that will give them that opposite training that's a question I'm thinking about it's super hard now, man. though, super hard Allah help us but we should have, like, support groups for that, you know? Like, that's what you should be talking about at dinner. Like, have some dinner, sit down, talk to people whose kids are older, and be honest with each other. Like, this is working for me, this is not working for me. You know, someone who, you see that they have, like, an 18-year-old, a 20-year-old, who's, like, well-managed, like, how did you do that? What did you do? What did you not do? Ask them questions. Like, that's what community's for, you know? If we're not gonna go eat, I'm gonna have to am- cancel question and answer so that you go eat. Anyone else have anything? Bismillah. Yes. Assalamu uh, like, um, like um, Regarding a your question, um, I mean, I'm, I have two young kids, but I'm becoming a homeschool mom, so I have to find my own resources and such. But for me, I feel like to get my son engaged is to maybe create a schedule and make it visible where he can see it. And so, um, and honestly, be strict with it. So, let's just say on Mondays, we read together about profits. And this time we can play some video games afterwards you can do this.